Alrighty, welcome to the My Age Podcast, the podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life to use, use music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Um, thank you very much for checking out part two of the two-part conversation I had with Sean Farlow from Sunstroke, from uh, Philadelphia's finest Sunstroke. Um, as I mentioned in the last one, this this episode kind of was recorded over two nights. It took four and a half hours and truth be told, we could have fucking kept going. Um, Sean obviously loves to tell stories um, and, you know, discuss music and concepts and all that kind of jazz. And as do I, but I also just love fucking sitting back and listening to them, which I hope you guys do, which I hope is why you were kind of here in the first place. So with that, um, I guess I'll quickly do the the plugs. Uh, you can obviously find me on... Uh, myage.com Instagram and Facebook just search for whatever my age podcast all one word my age like the descendant song not like the blink song if that makes sense like you know it's not what's my age two words it's my age one word podcast obviously um, big shout outs to you know if you're interested in starting your own podcast maybe you should head on over to the podbelly network podbelly.com uh, podbelly network we are actually a part of that network a whole bunch of different podcasts on there, uh, on there in their network, but also a really cool, um, you know, instructional videos and talks about if you want to start a podcast, what's the best way to do it, what gear you should have, what, um, how how you actually load stuff and get stuff onto um, iTunes and Spotify and all that kind of jazz, the ways and means in which to do it, um, and just getting started out. Look, if you've got an idea, but you're not sure how to execute it for a podcast. Head on over podbelly.com and uh, you'll find a, a plethora of really cool resources. Um, also sponsored by Gringo Bandito, the world's greatest hot sauce. Um, you can get it at gringobandito.com. You can get it on Amazon if you're in North America. Uh, you can get it from blastoffimports.com if you're in Australia. Um, and you can actually get it on eBay uh, if you're in Australia as well. Um so fucking check that out um, because it's as I said look it's the greatest hot sauce in the world and I wouldn't lie to you like I'm I'm a man who has eaten a few hot sauces in his time um, and drowned a few a few burritos and tacos in hot sauce in his time so I've done all the legwork for you it's, you know drinking bandanas where it's at two turntables one microphone alrighty so with that uh, as I said, part two of the Sean Follow episode. Thank you very much for checking it out. Um, it was fucking. It was really, really cool to do this. Go check out. Uh, go check out Sunstroke on Spotify or Bandcamp or at New Morality Zine. Um, their EP that was released in November last year called Bloom at Night is fucking fantastic. And just putting it out there, I've had a lot of people ask me, kind of, what was that because we don't really get into sunstroke until this episode so a lot of people are like what's this fucking band what's this band he's in um and so when i send the link i often end up clicking on it and um checking it out like re 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 listening to it again and just can't get over how fucking good it is so yeah the ep was called is called bloom at night um the yeah on on all the streaming streaming platforms and hopefully, very soon, there should be, you know, in, in conjunction with something they did with another podcast, 
there might be a little treat coming out. Nothing to do with the My Age podcast, but the soon the second it comes out, uh, I will post the links because it's kind of like a you know, it's a it's a good thing, um, and it also will probably more than likely I actually would say it definitely will include um, ex guest of the pod uh, Bob Shed who runs the Axe to Grind podcast. You know, there might be a little bloody treat coming up for you in a future episode, a not-too-distant future episode. So anyhow, I'm digesting. Uh, let us get into it. Thank you again for checking it out. MyAgePodcast.com, PodBillyNetwork.com, GringoBandito.com. It's all there. What more do you need? Um, yeah, cool. Take it easy. So, so many, like... Did you have many other friends that were kind of into hardcore and punk rock, or like were you an outlier for your school? Like, were there any uh, other kids listening to that kind of music? When I was in middle school, completely an outlier. Like, I I didn't know a single other person that was listening to any any of the like punk or hardcore bands that I. Started to listen to, um, like I, all of my friends uh, listened to like hip hop or rap, which you know I was also listening to. So it it wasn't like I didn't have anybody to connect with. But you know, I only I I always kept like a, a smaller group of friends. Um, yeah, and the you know their their knowledge of any of that stuff was usually kind of like through me. Um, but I also you know at the time I wasn't really seeking out those friends you know i like i I might meet somebody and talk to them and uh it's crazy to think about now because i I talk about music uh, literally every single day but uh you know i i wasn't i wasn't you know in middle school you know be it whatever uh you know being a little more kind of uh you know uh, like a like an anxious youth or whatever, but I, I didn't really bring it up to anybody. Uh, it just seemed like it was it was destined to, to to be my thing and like internally my thing. I was like, oh, this is what I care about, and it doesn't really matter to anybody else because it's not like accessible or whatever. Yeah, that's that. Pardon me, that makes sense. Um, what about live? What about live music? Was was that kind of on any? Was that on any kind of radar, or um, did did that? Was that a kind of foreign concept? Being, I mean, I guess you're still, you know, twelve, thirteen. So I'm not sure about the kind of music scene where you were at that time. But like, were there like you know were there flyers at the record stores, or like was it was it on the cards, or? Um. So at Full Circle Records, the, the store that I kind of exclusively had gone to at that time, um, I hadn't, like, really picked up on too much of it. Now, like, in, like, revisionist history, like, there were, like, little, like, local bands that would play. They would have, like, in-store uh, situations that would happen there, and, like, a band would play in the store every once in a while. Um but I I wasn't really catching on to that, and like they weren't they weren't really like telling me, hey, like what, uh, look over at the flyers, whatever. Um, and I don't know if it's because you know I was young and or looked younger, but uh, it was pretty much just just straight buying records um, until about you know uh, w- when I got into eighth grade is when I started to 
recognize uh, like a, a little bit more. Like, man, I gotta, I have to go see a band live somewhere. And you know, when you look at hardcore records, especially, especially ones from like the early and mid '80s, that uh, you know, a, a lot of the uh, artwork was focused on on either hand illustrated or or like live photography. Yeah. And you know, seeing seeing the backs of uh, some some of the records, and like I, I always think of the Break Down the Walls record from Youth of Today, you know, and, and that that cover it just looks so so incredible. I mean, there, there's so much going on uh, in that in that one live shot. Yeah. And uh, and I think it, it, it's one of those photographs that you know when I look at now, you know, it it, it really paints hardcore kind of kind of how it is you know it's, it's it's a bunch of it's a bunch of guys that that look like me you know what i mean and 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 i know that you know being a, a white male in the united states I'm, me is, is a lot of people but it, there's something about like the fact that they didn't look too punk you know and i and i yeah. was never super attracted to trying to you know fit the the visual aesthetic of, of being punk. Like, I think that that lasted maybe about six months for me, but you know, I'm a, I'm a creature of, of comfort and, you know, I grew up into sports and I, I just kind of always dressed the, the, the same way that I did, you know, um, albeit like a little bit better as I got older, yeah. but, uh, like I, I, I dressed the same way that I did, you know, in sixth grade, like I dressed for, for comfort and for, you know, for activity. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that I wear sweatpants all the time, but you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I like to be comfortable Yeah, makes and, sense. you know, I, I, I like, you know, you know, sneakers, um, and, and sweatshirts and things like that. And those, those, those types of things like, uh, you know, just t-shirt and jeans, that, that was something that, um, appealed to me a lot more than, you know, uh, spiky leather jackets and yeah. things like that. And, and Doc Martin's boots. And, and, yeah, and, and it's not a it's not a knock on any of that stuff. It's just like uh, for me the that the 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 aesthetic of you know um, athletic and leisure wear was, was uh, uh, or you know a far more um, laid back look was was far more appealing and, and relatable to me. Yeah. So, you know, you look at that cover and and it's it's a bunch of guys that are wearing average clothes, you know, T shirt and jeans and, and Nikes and uh, you know, sneakers just sneakers in general. Yeah. And yeah. at the same time it looks like the most wild show you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, it to me it just like uh that that really spoke to me, and then um, like I remember, uh, and th- this has a really cool tie-in uh, eventually. But the the back of the um, the Murphy's Law record, uh, where the, it's the the car parked in front of CBGB, and like everybody in in New York is in that photo. There's just like a ton of people hanging out from the CBGB, yep. and uh, you know, it, it just paints this really cool, like community type uh, 
visual for you that like you know they're all friends and they're all together it's not just a crowd like it's not a crowd at a show it's all these people that know each other and are close-knit and uh so around you know probably early eighth grade um i lived very close to a train that crossed from over in southern New Jersey into Philadelphia. And it ran, you know, 24 hours a day, every day of the week. It, it, it was always running. Um, so I used to, I could ride my bike from my house to that train station very easily. Yeah. So I started catching the train and coming over to the city. And, like, at that time, this is, you know, 1998, 1999, um, there was, you know, a, a, a huge amount of record stores on on South Street in Philadelphia, but there was also some at other parts in the city. There was uh, Third Street Jazz, which you would never think to go to unless you were like, man, I really want records, and I just happened to ride my bike past it. Yeah. So I went into Third Street Jazz, and, like, all their punk records were in the basement, and, you know, they had a lot of them. And this is, I think, a, a really cool point for me, too, because they had their stuff organized by, by genre in a way that was different from other places that I went to. And, you know, they, they were a little bit of an older store. Like, they, they specialized in jazz and everything else, uh, you know, hence the name. Yep. But the, the, the punk was, was a pretty wide, uh, a, a wide a wide ranging uh, definition. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they had like, you know, kind of similar to my dad's definition, you know, they had B-52's records and, uh, you know, Pretenders records and Devo records down there. But they also had, you know, 80s hardcore records. Like you might find a, a flag of democracy record down there or a Why Die record. Like they, they definitely had a lot of like the Philly punk and hardcore staples down there. Okay. Um, so it was really cool. And then, you know, when I went to South Street, there were places like uh, Space Boy and Rock and Roll Plus. Um, and then there was, like, a, a store that sold, like, a lot of T-shirts and, like, like punk clothes called Zipperhead. Uh, and they would have records in there, too. Um, and then there's like, Repo Records and Noise Solution. And I used to go into every and any one of those stores. Um, and that's when I started to recognize the flyers. And yeah, that's right. when I started to kind of like really start putting it together. And I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta go to the show. And, you know, also keep in mind, like, I don't know anybody else that goes to shows. And like, I don't know very many people that drive. So like when I was 13, I was over in Philadelphia and I happened to see uh, you know, the, the wall of flyers in, uh, in Space Boy, which is a record store. And, um, one of the flyers was, you know, for, you know, uh, so geographically, I think this is important. Um, New York city is only about an hour and a half away from Philadelphia. So it, we're very close. Drive. Um, or public transport. Drive, drive or, or a bus. I mean, there, there was a bus that went from Chinatown philadelphia to chinatown new york okay. uh, like and there's still there still is but um the the old one was it was dirt cheap 
slightly sketchy, <laughs> but uh, absolutely awesome. Um, so there was a bunch of flyers, and one of them was uh, Murphy's Law at CBGB. And, like, to me, that – and I'm, I wasn't even, like, a huge Murphy's Law fan, but – you know, I I I love those first two records, and uh, most importantly, I'm I'm looking at that and I'm like, oh my god, like that's that's the the back of the cover. It's Murphy's Law CBGB. Like I I want to go to this show. Yeah. And so this was like in the spring of '99, and I was 13. So I uh, you know I, I start kind of trying to come up with this elaborate plan to go up. In New York, and was it a, was know, it a matinee show? Or, come, sorry, was it a matinee show? Or was it a, like an evening show? No, no, it was, a, it was like a, a weeknight. It, it may have been a Friday. Yep. Um, I think it was a Friday night. But yeah, it was a night. It wasn't like a Sunday afternoon or something. Oh yeah, yeah, it was that night. This was this was one of those things that was going to have like multiple levels of um, a story for me to be able to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, you know, I circle the date on my calendar and I start formulating my plan. And, uh, you know, I had a friend that lived not too far from me that, uh, I frequently would spend the night at his house. And so, um, you know, you know, I tell my parents that I'm going to be staying over at his house on Friday. And, uh, my mom would get home from school. Like my mom's a teacher. She would get home after I would. And, you know, as would my, my, my dad. At this point, my dad would, too. He was uh, no longer working overnight, like working a different job. Yep. So while I was at school, I used the library, and I printed out uh, walking directions <laughs> on MapQuest from where the Chinatown bus drops you off in New York City, which at the time was Allen Street, like in the Lower East Side, Chinatown kind of area. And... Uh, the Bleaker and Bowery, right? The 315 Bowery to get to CBGB. Yep. And so, you know, I I cut school, ride my bike to the train station, get over to Philly, you know, get over to the Chinatown bus, and you know, I I uh, I walk into uh, the wrong door to get into the China bus uh, Chinatown bus station to buy a ticket. I walked into a convenience store and like they, they all looked at me like I was crazy when I said I wanted to buy my bus ticket <laughs> and they were like, yeah, it's next door. So I, I walk out of there and I go next door and, you know, uh, they, uh, you know, all the people at the counter, they, they barely speak any English. And, uh, you know, and you'll so I'm, I'm just like struggling. Yeah. I'm no, I'm 13, so 13 yeah. years old. I haven't, I haven't turned 14 just yet. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I'm talking to the person at the counter and, and, you know, all, all this anxiety and like, I, I can feel my, my, you know, my skin turning red and, and like I'm getting ready to sweat. And, uh, you know, it, as if this situation couldn't be enough of a rush already. So I finally get my ticket and it was like $15 to uh, a round trip ticket. So I get my ticket, I get on the bus, and, like, um, I, I think for anybody that is from the States, if they if they hear this, they'll understand this. But the bus was, like, uh, a bus from Chinatown is, is always a very interesting affair because it, you have 
so many different kinds of people on the bus. It's similar to riding a Greyhound bus. Yep. Um, there's always somebody eating uh, greasy and or smelly food, and it's, it, it, like, soaks up everything. There's always a baby crying, um, <laughs> yeah. and there's always... And there's always somebody like yelling on their cell phone, like without fail, that will be happening. So, you know, I'm, you know, I've got just my Walkman and I, you know, I've got my headphones in for the entire ride up. So we get up to New York and, you know, I'm looking down at my, my printed out directions and walking. And, uh, you know, I get over to, to uh, CBGB and I'm a little early and I just see like, crowds of kids around certain places and you know i don't know anybody and i'm by myself so i'm just like all right i'll just wait in line so i get up to the front and then you know as soon as i get to the door the guy goes do you have id and i was like uh no i i and i'm i and i'm like frozen because i'm like id and i was like you know, and and I just kind of was like, for what? And he was like, it's sixteen and up, and oh, so I fuck. didn't know this, but CBGB had like a sixteen and over policy. That you know, anybody that had gone there will tell you it was like loosely enforced. Like sometimes they would ask, sometimes yeah. they wouldn't, and you know, and now I understand why. I was thirteen, but I looked like I was ten, <laughs> and yeah. so. <clears throat> I just look at the guy deadpan and I go, I parked my car in Brooklyn. And he looked at me just like, yeah, fucking right. You did. <laughs> and, uh, that's pretty good. Off the you top know, of your head, that's pretty impressive. And, and I was like, I don't have enough time to, you know, take the train over to, to Brooklyn and get my license and come back. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. You know? And I was just like, I'm not taking no for an answer. So I just kind of, stayed there and like argued and argued and argued with them to, to let me in. And so, uh, when, when you went to CB's, there was like this little entrance way before you actually got into the venue and there'd be like a curtain or whatever. And like a guy set like a, sitting at like a table or, or whatever, or a table behind them. And there was this guy like, like sitting on the table that was behind the guy at the door that was refusing to let me in. And uh, as I'm arguing with him, I can see him, like, getting more and more frustrated with the situation. And he just kind of jumps down from the table and smacks the guy in the arm. And he just goes, just let the fucking kid in. He's like, I've been playing drums in this fucking place since I was nine years old. Let the kid in. Put an X on his hand and let him in. So um, the guy was like, all right, just, just go. So that's how I got into my first show at CBGB. Now, the really funny part was, Later on that night, the guy that did that, I saw him. He was playing drums for Murphy's Law. And even further down the road, like, I'll never forget his face. It was uh, it was Harley Flanagan. Harley Flanagan, like, frequently, like, would fill in for certain, like, bands. Like, and him and Jimmy G were, like, lifelong friends. Yeah. So he, Harley Flanagan from the Cro-Mag is the reason why I got into my first CBGB show. That's fucking incredible. And that was my, like, introduction to seeing live hardcore. And, I mean, the show was great. I mean, you know, Todd Youth was playing with Murphy's Law still, and it was just, it was awesome. It was just absolutely awesome. And, you know, right afterwards, I, I you know, went, took the bus home. You know, and, and I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't 
super planned out on what I was going to do when I got home. But, you know, so I got home really like in mid mid morning. And, you know, the, the excuse is just like, oh, you know, uh, Jeremy got sick, like my friend got sick or whatever. And, and you know, you go to the bed and I was like so excited and then slept for like two o'clock in the afternoon the next day. But well worth it. So if anybody is uh, younger, cut school and, and, and go take a bus to take, uh, yeah. another city. <laughs> take it, take a sketchy bus. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. Because Harley will be there to let you in. And and totally, like, that's that's what made me want to go to more and more shows. Um, and, and I started to kind of find out about, like, shows in Philadelphia more often, and, and that was really accessible. There were shows that would happen at uh, this venue called the Rotunda that was out, like, around 40th Street. Um, there, was, uh, there was a place called The Kill Time and uh, this place called Funorama that was uh, this guy, Robbie Redsheets. It was uh, his house. He ran, like, Dead by 23 Records. Yeah. And then the first Unitarian Church uh, in Philadelphia always had, like, a bunch of, uh, like, shows. They had a lot of hardcore punk shows and just, like, indie rock. And that venue's um, that's still going, isn't and, it? Yeah, they they do shows a lot less frequently now. Okay. Um, I I feel like it's a it's a a size uh, that was very appropriate uh, ten plus years ago, and I feel like now there's not as many bands that fit into that like that size requirement. Okay. Which is like. I think simultaneously uh, very interesting and and very frustrating because I feel like uh, by by large less people go to live music, um, but like that's that's where I started to you know uh, find out about bands like uh, Kid Dynamite and uh, you know Ink and Dagger and like other bands that were like Philadelphia relatives and. Um, there would be like a distro set up at all the shows at the first Unitarian church, which was great. You know, if you're there for like a hardcore punk show, there's a guy with his distro set up and he has, you know, all these like CDs and records from other hardcore and punk bands. And that, that's something that I really missed from that time period. Yeah. Um, when I, when I think that the music was, uh, harder to come by, um, there, there was this like level of mystique and like risk that went along with buying a record uh, that doesn't exist as much now. And I don't think that it's necessarily a good or bad thing. I think that it's easy to complain about like people are like, Oh, kids today have it so easy. They, they, they know out of like off the bat the day a record comes out, whether it's, you know, good or not. And, yeah. you know, we had to, you know, you know, you just sound like that asshole dad that's like, I had to walk two miles yep. in the snow in the both snow, ways. Uphill. And like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and truthfully, I mean, the fact that I went to, you know, shows that had a guy with a distro set up when I was in middle school and high school is just as uh, much of a leap in terms of accessibility to the person that went to shows 10, 15 years before me. They're like, oh, we had to find it on our own we had to you know, send money in the mail and hope a record came back and, yeah cross your fingers um, up it came back six eight weeks later yeah and and like around that time is, is when i started to do all that stuff too like i you know 
I would buy records that were like from SST or, uh, you know, um, Discord or whatever. And I would, I would literally get an envelope and put money in, in the envelope and send it to the address. And, uh, I have a very distinct memory of sending money to SST records. Uh, and I didn't get something back for like six and a half months. Jesus. And when I finally, when I finally got back what I wanted, uh, it was the 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 bands that I ordered something from. I got those those bands, but the items were reversed. Like so, I ordered a like a like a Black Flag record and a Bad Brains sweatshirt, and I got a Black Flag sweatshirt and a Bad Brains record in the mail. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, at, at that point, it was it was bonus because it was like six months later. I. I, I hadn't really forgotten about it, but I didn't think it was ever coming. So. Yeah, you'd written it off in your head. Yeah, and, um, you know, something that I, I think struck me uh, in such a cool way is, um, you know, the, the first couple times that I'd ordered something from Discord, which Discord was like the label that I think when, when I got into early 80s hardcore, like that first wave of hardcore, it was a label that I, I associated with the most. It just, everything felt so, um, internal and homegrown and it's just like supporting your friends because all the bands were like from DC yeah. and, uh, there was something so cool about that to me. And, you know, I, I loved minor threat and, you know, after I got into minor threat, I got into embrace and Fugazi and like that, that was all kind of part of, that uh you know full circle records those guys were very adamant about being like oh you like that you should buy this you should buy this yeah and uh you know they they were really good about that like once i became like a regular there and um so i ordered something in the mail from discord um and i can tell you what it was actually uh so i i was very into reading members of bands and like what bands they were in and stuff like that. And the, the band three, right? Like the number three, Yep. um, it had Jeff Nelson from minor threat and, um, the guy from, uh, gray matter. And I was like, well, I like both of those bands. Like, you know, uh, I, you know, take it back as one of my, my favorite, you know, uh, songs, especially from, from gray matter. Uh, and you know, Jeff Nelson was in minor threat. Like I, I need this record. So I got the three record. Uh, and, and when it came back to me, you know, this is the first time I'd ever ordered anything from, from discord. Uh, and you know, I, I opened my package and the, there's a handwritten note in there and, you know, a handwritten like thank you note. And that made like all of that, like very independent supporting your friends kind of thing. Uh, really, really hit on such a personal level. I'm like, I, I don't, I, I'm not like really thought of hardcore and punk as like a even playing field, you know, as far as like the bands and, um, you know, and the, and the crowd were like on the same level. It was, it, it still didn't feel that way. Like, yeah. you know, when you're 12 or 13, you don't, you don't realize that like that they're not making money, you know, they're not. Yeah, they're not they're, living the know, lifestyle, you're, you're, you, the rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah, you you might you know you might stay afloat depending on you know what your situation is, but they weren't they weren't making bank, and the fact that you know 
I get back this handwritten note. Like there was time with my name written on it. It's not like a stamp where it's like, Hey, thank you. All yeah. stamped. And then they just write Sean, you know, it yeah, was, yeah. it was all written out. And, um, and, and that immediately just kind of like hit me in a, in a certain way. And, and I started to look at the whole thing differently. And I think that that's when the idea that like, uh, anybody could be in a band, like literally anybody could be in a band. Uh, and, you know, I, I had not started a band or really thought about starting a band just yet, but that was like, that was that first realization that like, uh, you know, everybody's kind of on this, on the same level. And, um, it, it, that, that, that time period is just like so cool. And when I, when I went over in the high school, I started recognizing like a handful of kids in my school that would be wearing like punk and hardcore band shirts you know like i i remember like seeing like a um, one of the kids like in a snap case shirt and like i automatically you know recognized like the victory records logo yep. and like you know there was a, there was another uh kid that i went to school with that was wearing a kill your idols shirt and like all of a sudden like it, you know, i'm starting to connect the dots in like my freshman year of high school and um the the really cool part was uh, the one guy that I, I always noticed, like wearing the Kill Your Idol shirt, I saw him in the hallway with, um, so my, my dad used to rebuild cars and, uh, you know, like classic American cars. And he was building a race car with, with his friend, um, when I was, when I was, uh, younger, his friend Bob. And Bob had, uh, two sons. One was Randy and one was Ryan and Ryan was a year older than me. So like we were, we were close and Randy was my brother's age. So, uh, Ryan and I were like kind of friends a little bit through like elementary, middle school, early middle school, because we were around the same age and our dad, you know, yeah. worked on a car together. And, um, so this guy in the career idol shirt was friends with my friend Ryan and I saw him walk in the hallway and like, I saw Ryan and I was like, Oh, Hey, Hey Ryan, blah, blah. And, you know, I see Ryan wearing like a, you know, hardcore band shirt. And so I made that connection and kind of talked with a little bit every once in a while. I was a little intimidated, you know, because like, you don't know, you don't know if you're, if you're like really down, you know, you just know that like, you know what you do, you know, that side of things. And like, at that point I was still very independent about going to shows, but it was like, they were all like really cool and, uh, you know, so I, I kind of like became like an acquaintance in their circle. Um, and then right after that, my, my school like system had kind of got redistricted and I went to a brand new high school after that. So all the people that I had just met that, you know, I was like, Oh God, they, they listen to hardcore too. And like, this is really cool. Uh, they were all like a year or two older than me, but like, this is, this is cool. I found, I found my people, uh, you know, I went to an, you know, another school. Um, so in that time period is when I started to like really go to Philly and New York a lot. And when I, when I went to New York, you know, you, every, you wait in line and, you know, conversation just kind of happens when you're at like CB or, yeah. uh, A7 or any, any of those places, ABC, the Rio and like, um, you know, so I started hearing people talking about going like to, uh, Kate and, um, 
and like dojo and like all these places and i was like oh what are you where are you guys going and they were like oh we're going to this you know this vegetarian spot cake and i was like vegetarian they're like yeah like yeah we're vegetarian i was like oh okay all right so then i was like well i want to go to cake (laughs) so i started going there and so, you know, and at the time, like, I'm not vegetarian or anything, but, like, uh, that was my, my introduction to, to that world um, was, like, you know, Kate Spot and, like, uh, and Dojo and, like, all these, all these, you know, classic, like, vegetarian places in New York. And they've all kind of gone by the wayside. They've all closed over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, money and, and rent in New York has a lot to do with that. Yeah, I can imagine. But, um. You know, and and the food at the time, it, it was it was ahead of it was ahead of the curve in terms of like vegetarian food. And I'll I'll argue that the the BLT from Cape is actually very good. Still, I would still say that it was very good. But everything else there, you know, it, at at this point in time in the scale of like vegan food, it's probably unremarkable. You know, it's not that great. But yeah. it was uh it was something that was like new to me and I'm still not you know, I still wasn't vegetarian just yet, but it was like, well this is cool. This is something from that world. And so then of course, you know, I gotta start reading more. I gotta figure out more about these people that are vegetarian and like that's when I start realizing like, you know, the Kromag were like Hare Krishna and like a lot of these guys are vegan and like that's when I get like uh, exposed to some newer bands and get exposed to like Earth Crisis and all this other stuff, and then I start noticing like guys wearing, you know, and this is like late '90s, early aughts. You know, you start seeing those like all those shirts that they would just say vegan on them, and I was like, oh shit, this is this is something, this is something different. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, like so when I turned 15 is when like I made that like conscious decision like i you know i was like i'm not gonna do any drugs and i'm not gonna drink and i'm and uh and i'm gonna stop eating meat and you know my my mom was like that's fine but you you gotta cook for yourself so i started cooking for myself like uh right around then and uh yeah and that was like uh you know the, the the tail end of high school was was you know me all of a sudden vegetarian uh, and like i hadn't like said that i was like straight edge just yet but like you know it was like getting into that right and then uh you know i i had met some friends at the new school like the first day or two in the new school i saw like another kid like in a a ramon shirt and so you know i was like i I found my friend yep and uh (laughs) so i started talking I started talking to this kid, Sean, like literally in the hallway. And like, I knew that he was like a year or two younger than me, but like, you know, it's the only other punk kid in the school. Yeah, it didn't matter. And so we became friends and, um, we were friends for quite a while. And, uh, he and his friend, um, Mike were like trying to start a band and they were like, yeah, we, we just need to find a bass player. Like he's like, my friend Sean's like, I can play drums. Mike could play guitar. And I was like, oh, I play bass. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, all right, cool. Well, I, I think we're going to, you know, practice this Saturday or Sunday if you if you want to come over. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So that Friday night, I took my money and I, I, I went to 
my dad's friend had like this electronic store and I bought a bass and a little like tiny practice band. And that's when I started playing bass. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 there's, there's something to be said to, to faking it till you make it. Yeah, you know? And, and absolutely. I, I, yeah. You know, I was like, this is, this is my chance to be in a band. So, you know, I, I got a bass and I went over there and I couldn't play for shit, but none of us could. So it was, it was fine. And like, Mike, the, the kid that played guitar, probably could play uh, the best out of any of us. And so he was just kind of like helping me and just kind of showing me along a little bit. And I was like, all right, cool, cool. You know, and I, and I figured it out enough. And then so on my own time while I was home, I'm, I'm just starting to kind of like write songs, you know, especially lyrics. Like I, I always wanted to write lyrics. So with no, so with no, musical, with no musical upbringing you buy a bass and you yeah. start writing songs that quick. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> I just, I just started, I just started throwing whatever together. And like in hindsight, none of it probably made any musical sense, Yeah. but I would show up to practice, you know, I would show up to, to our practice and I'd be like, Hey, I got a song. And they would <laughs> go, yeah. And so I'd show, I'd show Mike what I was playing and he was like, all right, cool. Well, let's do this. And then like, he would kind of structure it a little bit and yeah. bring it back in. And then we would start, we would start playing it. And, uh, you know, it started to kind of like move a little bit and it was, it was fun, you know, and, uh, we never ended up playing a show. We never ended up recording anything, but it was like, that was like my first kind of like, okay, like I can do this. And like every single day when I came home from school, I would, I would plug in my bass to my parents and uh you know neighbors dismay and i would play <laughs> bass and then you know uh I'd try to write songs and then play unplugged in my room did the band uh, have a name and uh i don't think so okay. <laughs> i don't think we ever got to that point i think it was like when we get to a point where we're going to play shows we'll we'll come up with a name yeah um I think that uh, Sean, the 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 guy that was like playing drums and like he was he was playing drums, but he wanted to sing. Uh, he was like, I want to call the band Armstrong, and and I was like, well, whatever. I mean, I don't I don't really care. I just want to play in a band. Yep. At that point, like I didn't really care at all. So, uh, but it, it never, you know, the name never ended up meaning anything beyond the three of us yeah uh but that was like my first kind of really introduction to the idea of like oh you can be in a band um I'll, you know being a band that doesn't do anything and just hangs out and you know plays music and sort of music in somebody's basement but it, you know it was, it was a great like little start to to all of that and um so so you but you're going to more and more shows were oh, you, absolutely! You, and then, like, were you going by Sean, like again heading into New uh, heading into New York? Were you still going by yourself? And what were you like? There's only so long you can keep up alive. Oh, I went to a friend's house, and yeah, you know, whatever. Like, so, at some point in time, there's going to be a, a there's going to be a moment where you're like, I can't, I can't lie about this anymore. Like, whether it means you come home with a black eye or you come home yeah. at six AM or whatever. Like, what was the what like what was the impetus for telling your parents like this is what I do like this is so, what I'm into? In the in that like first year, I probably went to New York like from from the tail end of eighth grade through like all of ninth grade. Um, 
I probably went to maybe four or five shows in New York. And then uh, after like the, you know, um, after I kind of got started, I started going to shows in Philly and like, you know, my, my mother obviously knew the music that I was listening to. So once I got into high school, they were a lot more like open with me kind of like going to the train and whatever. And I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to a show at a church, you know, and that, that was, that was my, that was my caveat with my yeah. parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I told, I told my mom and dad, I was going to a show at a church in, in the city and it's right off of the train station. It's so easy to get to and everything. And they're like, are, are you going with a friend? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's going with my friend that drove, um, which I actually coincidentally did know a friend that drove uh, and he lived a couple towns away from me. And like, sometimes I would go to shows with him uh, and he, I, I would meet him at his town, which was Collingswood, which is like right before you get into Camden and go over to Philly. Um, so I would just tell him like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take the train to, you know, my friend Josh's house and then we're going to go over to Philly and the show's at a church, you know? So, you know, and that, that was, that worked for long enough. Yeah. Um, and then like when I became friends with, uh, that kid Sean, when I went to the new school, um, he, his parents were very like supportive and open. So like they would drive him to shows and I would just tell my mom, and this was like before I had gotten my license, and I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, Sean's mom's going to take us to the show. Uh, and, you know, at that point, it, it was like, you know, it was 15, 16. She was fine with it at that point. So the, the lie didn't have to be held up for too long. Um, but there, there were a few moments where I, was, I, I would get close to getting caught. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> uh, my my favorite of those moments was uh, I actually got stuck in New York overnight, and this was in Fuck. I was I think it was tenth grade, so I I took the bus up, you know, went to a show, went to the bus stop you know, to to catch the the last bus back to Philadelphia that night, and you know New York, especially for somebody that you know wasn't there frequently like frequently enough to know where you're going i mean like i i lived in new york for a year and i still will get turned around and lost in manhattan yeah and you know i was walking back to to the bus station and i uh it's not even a station you know it's just a it's just a corner a, a sign yeah. and uh i'm sitting there for you know 15 20 minutes and the bus never came there so i it, i missed it like it had already left so, and the first bus back home was like six fifteen in the morning. Yeah. So this is this is like around midnight, and I'm like, okay, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do for the next six hours? And I was like, I, I could ride the subway, and, and I guess, or so I walked over to like a diner and, and sat there for as long as I could and drank, you know, as much coffee as I could. And then I was like, um, maybe I should just take the Greyhound bus home catch a greyhound to philadelphia and i go over to and also the greyhound station in philadelphia is very close to chinatown which is very close to the train that goes back to new jersey yeah so it it made sense like um geographically it made sense for me to kind of like use that as an option and i go to the greyhound station and i get in there and there's a there's this guy 
standing by this kid who's got like a bag of grapes. Yeah. And it's like, you know, three thirty, four in the morning. Yeah. And uh, he just like looks at him and he's like, hey man, can I have a grape? And the, the kid just kind of like reluctantly holds the bag up to him and he just kind of snatches the bag and just starts eating all of the grapes in front <laughs> of the kid. And I was like, how old was the kid? I was like, uh, he and he was like a college kid. I mean, oh, okay. he had to be in yeah, the yeah. early twenties. But 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 I mean, this guy's like a you know, this guy's like a hood rat, you know. So <laughs> I was just like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I can't. I can't be here. So I I left Port Authority and uh, you know basically went back to that diner again and just kind of like sat there until about you know five forty five and then went and caught the six fifteen bus home and you know slept the entire way to Philly. But uh so that that was like the 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 crazy moment, right? Is is staying up all night overnight in New York. Um and then when I started driving is when I really started to travel for shows. Yeah. You know, and, and I worked you know, I worked from the time that I was fourteen, you know, part time. So I, I had a little bit of money, you know, living at your parents, living rent free and um, you know, working, I, I had money to do things. So myself and some of my friends would, would start going to shows and traveling shows. And this is also the, the beginning of like more information being out there on the internet. So, you know, going to DC for a show or going to Baltimore or going to Connecticut, uh, you know, none of those things were, were really that, that crazy of an idea anymore because all those places are within three hours of, of Philadelphia and, and, and this area. So it's just like, it made so much sense. And I also, uh, you know, between that and my friends, uh, Liam and my friend, uh, Josh, like I started going to shows in New Jersey and, you know, uh, there was like a, a venue in brick township that put on shows, which is, that's like where, where, uh, Bob is from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and there's, uh, there was shows up in like, um, uh, was it uh, Birch Hill Nightclub, which I think was in Old Bridge, New Jersey. It's like North uh, Central Jersey. Middlesex County College used to have shows. And, and so I started kind of branching out a little bit there and going to a bunch of different shows in, uh, in New Jersey as well as anywhere else that I could go. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then, you know, after I finished high school, I got into college and I made friends with some more kids that were into hardcore and punk and made friends with like a, a couple of kids that were, you know, like a year or two younger than me and they wanted to start a band. And, you know, of course I was like, yeah, I play bass and I had actually practiced for a little bit longer and I, yeah. I could play well enough to play. Uh, so I started a band um, with my friend Mikey and my friend Tyler at the time. Uh, called High Hopes, and yeah, we named ourselves after the Gorilla Biscuits song, and yep. we uh, we we started to to practice and write, and we wrote a little demo and recorded it, and we played two shows. We played a show in a house in New Jersey, and then we played in uh, uh, there was this town in um, in uh, North Jersey, like right right across from. Staten Island, and uh, they had uh, this this like uh, this cafe 
type place that, that had shows. And um, this was like 2004, 2005, that uh, that band Outbreak, yep. you, you ever listened to that band Outbreak? Yeah, yeah yep. they were on tour with uh, Miles Away from Australia. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, of course. So, so yeah, that would have been um, just as they got signed, just as Miles Away got signed to Bridge Nine. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Miles Away was on tour with Outbreak, and this was right when the Cruel Hand demo was done. It's a really, really interesting time period. So they all played at this this place called Bloomfield Ave Cafe. And I don't even remember how I got us on this show, but I'd I'd either, like, message through MySpace uh, Chris or Ryan from Outbreak or something, or or the guy putting on the show. I'd somehow gotten in touch with somebody to be able to get us on this show. And uh, that was the last show that we ever played. And, uh, but it was, it was awesome. And that was like, uh, you know, I, I talked with like, you know, Chris and Ryan from Outbreak and all these people. And they were like, yo, good set, whatever. And like, and like, they were lying because we sucked, but <laughs> it, it was, it was awesome. You know, it was like that, like, okay, like we not only can, can we do a band and play shows, we can do a band and play shows with the bands that we listen to, like yeah. listen to on the regular. And I was like, this is, this is where it's really fucking cool. And so that's, uh, after that band broke up, uh, a couple of months went by and I started talking to some people about like, I, I wanted to front a band. Like I wanted to sing for a band really bad. And, um, I got, I, I was going with my friend Lou, who I worked with at the time, to Texas. The Reason was playing these shows um, in New York. It was like their the first two shows that they played back. It had been like ten years since. Do you know? Uh, do you know who you are? Came out, and uh, you know my friend Lou wanted to go to the show with me, and we went up there. And while we were there, he introduced me to his friend Ian that was there who I knew because Ian had played in this band bad blood from New Jersey. And like, I knew who he was. I didn't know him. And that's that night he and I became friends. And, you know, so I started talking to him and found out like, okay, he's straight edge. He's, you know, he plays guitar. He's played guitar in a band that's toured and put out a record. And so I was like, yo, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to, you want to do a straight edge band? He was like, yeah, I'm down. And I was like, okay, cool. I found I found somebody to play drums, and uh, you know, uh, my friend Matt said that he knows uh, another kid also named Matt that wants to play bass. I was like, so let's do it. So we got together and we started a band, um, and we we ended up calling ourselves Petition, and we very quickly, over the course of like two three months, wrote a demo and immediately like got down the business, like started playing shows and touring right away. Wow. And, uh, that was, that was like, for me, that was like the, the, the real, real beginnings of feeling far more communal. Like I had made some friends, I had, you know, gone to shows and, but like doing a band and, and meeting a bunch of friends and playing all the time, uh, was was like the the really really cool big first step for me and uh you know i was like 20 21 years old at the time and like 
starting a band and, and touring. Uh, and, you know, I lived on my own at that point. I moved out of my parents' house and just like, it, there was so much, so much freedom to all of it. And, uh, you know, I had started working part-time at a record store and I, you know, I was doing that and like working other like odd kind of jobs. I would do like construction and, uh, deliver pizza or whatever, whatever job that I could get for a while. But I would always kind of go back to working part-time at this record store that my friend Justin got me that job at. And I was like, I'm, there's no way that I'm not going to work here. I'm going to like, this is my home. Yeah. So simultaneously, I've got like this band that's, that's active and playing shows and not just playing shows, but playing good shows, you know? And, uh, like our, our very first show wasn't that, that big, but it was big to me. Uh, we played with a uh, triple threat, which was, uh, you know, Tim McMahon, who was a mouthpiece. Oh yeah, of band. course. Yeah. And and I had I had known Tim from like going to shows and just being a kid from New Jersey like I I valued mouthpiece and hands tied in a really big way and um you know he actually he he did like a verse on our on our demo and I recorded uh, so I went to school in, in college I went to school for sound engineering and music recording so. My my final project, I recorded Triple Threat doing a um, a no for an answer cover that ended up on uh, this this comp on Revelation called Past Present, and it was like a bunch of newer bands covering like classic Revelation bands. Yeah, and so Triple Threat covered Without a Reason, and that was my project. Like that that was my final. I recorded them for that. That's fucking cool. So that's that's how I like became even closer with Tim. And so I was like, when my band recorded a demo, I was like, Hey, will you do a verse on like, will you do a guest spot on one of our songs? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, that was really cool. And then, so we played with them and that band from New Jersey, the Mongoloids at, at our very first show. And then, um, our second show was with, uh, that band Shipwreck, or they became Shipwreck AD, AD yeah. uh, in 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 Harrisburg, and then like we played a show in Connecticut, we played a show in Massachusetts, and then we came back the the final day of that that four day run, we played in Philadelphia, uh, one of like two times that the, that the the band petition ever played Philadelphia, we played with uh, Razzle Dazzle and Down to Nothing and uh like a couple of other like friends bands and like we had uh, it was like that was like our fourth or fifth show and i was like man this is fucking great yeah and get much better. so that that was like yeah and those were our first first couple of shows and then and then we you know started touring and like we got to play this little festival in florida with with 108 and killing time and uh and and just kind of started canvassing the country you know and just started seeing everything and and you know i don't know it was just like perfect timing for all of us and at the end of that summer we did a run with um go it alone from vancouver yep uh and they were they were actually they were finishing up that was like the end of go it alone that was like their last couple of shows and then, um, and this band Violation, who had just kind of like released a demo, uh, and they were from California, 
they ended up being on the on very short lived Sound and Fury records. Like Sound and Fury put out their first EP. Yeah, right. Um, and they they were so fucking good. Violations. If you haven't listened to Violations, make sure you go and listen to their 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 seven inch uh, and their their LP are very very good. And uh, yeah, I mean that that band toured a lot over the course of two years and. Um, in that time I was working at a record store and outside of being in a band and playing and writing, um, my exposure to music just by being at a record store, uh, just got gigantic, you know, cause every single day, you know, I'm in the store and, uh, you know, w- what I would do is most of the other people that worked there were also like, they were students, right? Yep. So they would they would want to, you know, have days off during the year. So I would cover anybody and everybody's shift uh, in the times that my band wasn't touring. And my band would tour, like, from December 26th, like, right after Christmas, yep. till it was time for our guitar player to go back to school, which was, like, you know, the third week of January. Yep. So we would tour right in that, in that pocket and then in the summer. So anytime that were in between that, you know, you're, you're talking, uh, you know, September, October, November, and the first half of December, I would cover anybody and everybody's shit. So at that point, I'm only working at the record store and I'm working six days a week, you know, 50 hours. Uh, and then when it came time for me to go on tour, I would, everybody was kind of like obligated to cover my shit. Yeah. So that, that's how <laughs> I kept the job is like, I'll, I'll, I'll work my ass off. Um, and I would rather be nowhere else except for in a record store. If I'm going to be home, I want to be in a record store. And I was there all day, every day, you know, there, there were, there was a lot of 12 hour days for me, uh, in the store from, from 10 AM to 10 PM. And it was, it was, it was the, you know, the best thing I could ask for. Yeah. Uh, and I, I absolutely loved it. And if I had, if there was three extra days in the week, I would still work yeah. at a store. <laughs> absolutely. Still there, yeah. um, and, you know, every day I'm surrounded by music. So it's not just hardcore and punk for me anymore, you know, and it, it never really was just that, but it, the focus, you know, had, had gotten a lot blurrier and it just, it became anything that looked cool. And it, and it took me back to being that like, 12 year old kid where I'm buying records just because it, it looks cool. Yeah. And you know, we got things that cost. So, you know, if a record came in and we paid a dollar for it from this person, it would cost me a dollar to buy it. And like, you know, I, I towed that line of abusing that policy, yeah. but I, I, I was like, I would, I would buy new records that came in. So the, the store would make money too. So the, the, the boss wasn't really upset at it. And also, like I said, I worked my ass off there. Um, so I was like anything and everything. And like, this is where, you know, I start getting more into like Tom Waits and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd already loved Husker Du, but I, the replacements outside of the first record, I wasn't really, you know, they, they seemed like they were, they, they were that band that leaped into another world. But I started listening to them more and more there. And I was like, man, this was really fucking good. And, um, you know, I liked a lot of R&B and soul 
but being in the store, uh, you know, it's beyond just the, the stuff that I heard sampled in, in hip hop songs. It was just like anything and everything. And it's like, yeah. this record looks cool. It's from this, this year. It's probably good, you know. Yep. And so, Let's try it. you know, I find myself not just getting into the stuff on the Motown label, but getting into, you know, stuff on like smaller labels. Like there was a record label called Bang, which was out of um, like Newark, New Jersey. And um, they put out records from like Linda Jones and like they worked with this group called the Escorts, which was uh, a bunch of prisoners at Rahway Prison. And they, re- they released a soul record, uh, The Moments, like all of this stuff. Uh, you know, I start getting into like soul, but like underground soul, you know, I, it's deeper. It's not just the, the Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye records, which yeah. I do love, but it was also like getting into this stuff that was a little bit grittier and like the Philadelphia stuff that, you know, I had all those 45s from when I was a kid, you know, the Intruders, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, uh, the Delphonics, the Stylistic, all that Philadelphia soul is it's all in front of me every day. So it's like, well, I feel like listening to that. So I'm going to listen to that. Um, so like it was the, the, the greatest thing about like being in that environment every day is that you've got these arrows. And I feel like uh, in terms of like, your interest and they go in all these different directions, but they're going that all at the same time. And like you have downtime at, at certain points in the day when you're at a record store. So, you know, it, again, it's that it's that back of the baseball card thing. I start reading through all the liner notes, so I'm looking at you know producer credits and things like that. And uh, you know, I I start really really getting knee deep into all of it, and um, that's that's where you know all this all this like excitement comes into play. And uh, like I said, like it, it just my music taste went from being, you know, a little bit more focused to going out in every single direction. Yeah, and all imagine. the things that I had just like, all the things that I had just like a remote interest in um, had exploded. From- it's almost like the modern day Spotify where, you know, everything's like working that record store with, with the downtime. Everything's at your fingertips all of a sudden. Yeah. So I, I, I think that that was like, you know, this was, um, the biggest point in time for me was like this was between like ages 19 and 20 to like 23, 24, 25 is where like it, it had just kind of gotten really, really big for me. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, that that was just like the, the biggest impact for me musically was, uh, you know, being surrounded by it every single day. And and like you know, if I didn't know anything, we also had computers at, at the store. So it's like, uh, you know, and like, look, I, I was the person that took books out of a library when I was you know twelve and thirteen. Um, but also, like, this is you know at this point in time, there there's the internet, and I I can look this stuff up. So you know, I see a record from you know a, a person that I don't recognize the name. I look up the information and find find more more info on it and yeah. find out the label and find the story behind it all and, and it just it everything had had gotten to that point and uh, yeah it, it's 
it, it was such a valuable time period. And there, there's times where I definitely miss it because I, I think that, you know, as much as I, I try to focus on, you know, growing my music taste every day, I still feel like it doesn't grow nearly as fast as it once did. Yeah. That's such, it's such a fantastic opportunity to work in a shop like that. So what do you even do to pick up a, to pick a track that kind of sums up those years? Cause like you've just talked about how, how, you know, diverse your musical um, palette has gotten. What do we pick? Um, so I, I was thinking about this because I got really into the replacements at this point in time and uh, they were a band that I prior to this didn't really focus on that much, but uh, they, they have a song that I feel like kind of sums up that, that mood and that the idea of um, stuff that maybe was less accessible and, and you had to kind of seek it out to find it and, and you had to go on your own terms and so I would say uh, do less of the dial by replacement.
So the I guess the next part of the podcast is the very broad part where it kind of, you know, depending on how old you are, kind of dictates how big a gap it is. But so you're, you, you mentioned you played in petition. How long did that last? Why did it end? And how did you get to where you are now? Um, so petition lasted until uh, 2009. So we, we'd broken up after two years. We had done a lot in that. Um, as much as, you know, we could have as a, you know, a, a, a band that was operating completely on our own. Like we didn't have like real label support or anything like that. And, uh, you were just releasing everything yourself. You weren't like signed to someone. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, there was the, the only thing that happened was the, there was a label in, in, uh, like a local label in New Jersey that offered to put out our, our seven inch. And, you know, we had already recorded it. We had already had had it out as a demo. And, like, all the songs were already out there. But he was just like, yeah, I'll put it out. So he put it out. Um, and and it was something for us to have on our table. And it was really cool. But uh, the, the the relationships, like, within the band just kind of fizzled out. Like, yeah. And everybody had kind of gotten to that point where it was, it was difficult to, to be around each other. And I feel like uh, being young and being in your first band that like really does something, it, the everything kind of got strained a little bit. And uh, yeah, we, 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 we kind of called it quits. We never did like a, a real big last official show or anything like that. We just kind of like stopped playing and a couple of the guys uh, went on to do other bands afterwards. And yeah. Um, I wanted to, and I had plans to do it with like a handful of people, but it never really got off the ground. So I, uh, about a year and a half, uh, about a year after petition, uh, broke up, uh, myself and, you know, my girlfriend at the time, uh, we moved to New York and, you know, I, I, I basically was like, all right, I'm going to try to start making a, making a living doing, you know, recording. And so I, I moved to New York to pursue, uh, like a career. Basically I, I wanted to go up there with, I have a, I have a degree in something that, you know, a degree means nothing in like, yeah. <laughs> I have a degree in, in, in recording, you know, sound engineering and music recording and like, you know, experience and, you know, whatever means a whole lot more than anything else. Yeah, I've, I've had a few friends who have done that kind of, got a degree in that kind of thing. Out here, there's a big, like in Sydney, there's a big course that does it. But the thing they never tell you at the end of it is it's all well and good to have it, but people don't care about yeah. it. People want to see, people just want to see the results. Like what you can yeah, do, not, yeah. what you might, have, not what you have learnt, what you can do. Yeah, it might get your foot in the door somewhere but usually the place that it gets your foot in the door isn't a place that's necessarily gonna gonna elevate you to the next spot like you still gotta know somebody yeah and you know i i worked uh one day a week at this guy's studio in queens and he had really great stuff but uh to be perfectly honest with you like it didn't it didn't sour me on recording but it it soured me on working with people that I felt like didn't have an even view with me. 
You know what I mean? Like they, they looked at the way that records should sound in a different light than I did. And that, that was the thing that kind of sucked. You know, he, he did everything the, the industry standard way. Yeah. Right. And, and like some of these things may mean nothing to, you, to to you or to other people, but like, it was like, okay, I'm going to put a, a sure SM57 on, on the, uh, on the guitar cabinet yep. and, you know, angle the horn and, and, you know, and that, that, that's kind of it. Like, that's the only option. Yeah. And because you know, that's what the, everyone the else idea did. of like, exactly. And, and, and I just like kind of, I would like suggest things. Um, and he was like, well, that's not going to sound good. And I was like, well, have you done it? And he was like, no. <laughs> and like, I was, I don't, I don't want to say like naturally combative, but I was like, I was the person that like, okay, these, these are the things that I learned in school. I want to, I want to do and, learn and trial and error the things that i didn't get a chance to do in school yeah like that's what i want yeah you know it works and let's, so, let's see what doesn't work yeah and and he just kind of uh like i i you know i did it for for the money and and for the experience but it just it i felt like uh you know i may have moved forward a little bit in, in what i was doing like uh but ultimately the, the pace was very slow and one day a week to feel like you're moving forward, but like in thick mud, like you're barely yeah. inching forward. It kind of, it kind of ruined uh, my, my feelings on it. And so I was only there one day a week and the, the other six days in the week, I was working at a, a health food store in Brooklyn. So um, that was, that was my life around that time. And my, my connection to music was just, having you know having an ipod and a record player at at my apartment and you know i listen to music every single day and i i'd gotten a little distant from like the world of hardcore uh spent you know a couple of years outside of it uh mainly because like you know i was in a band and i fizzled out and i feel like the friendships kind of fizzled out for for a good amount of time and i don't know it just kind of sucked to be to be like brutally honest, like it, yeah. it did kind of suck. Like uh, these were these were the people that I got to experience something like really awesome with, and uh, you know it, the friendships end and kind of have a, a frustrating situation. They come and go for for reasons that lie usually within both parties, and that was totally the case. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I just kind of like I don't know. It, I wasn't super bummed about it at all, but like at all times, but you know, deep down I was like, man, I, I really miss, I really miss doing a band and I really miss like being around those people as friends. Like I, they, they were good people. Like, uh, we may have had like a frustrating end to our friendship, but you know, they were good people. Yeah. The, the working six days a week thing, was that because sorry sorry seven six days at the health food store and then one at the um one at the studio, was that because you just have a unhealthy passion for working, or is it because it's what you had to do for to live in New York? Um, it's it's unfortunately a lot of times just a a, a, a byproduct of being American. You well, know? yeah, okay, uh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but yes, in New York, it, it was, especially with, with the kind of money that I was making, you know, it, it was kind of like live to work, work to live kind of situation. Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, you know, to, to be able to make enough to pay my rent and, and my bills, I need, I needed to work pretty much that much. Like I, I didn't have a whole lot of money for myself at the time. Yeah. Uh, I was able to get by and I was able to pay my bills, but, um, like if something were at the time, if something were to happen to me or, you know, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, we, yeah, we wouldn't have had enough money for rent. No way. Yeah. So That's yeah, it, it, it was, it was a, it was a financial kind of decision more than anything else. Um, but I mean, it, it was, I think honestly though, being that busy at that time in my life, uh, probably, was a good thing you know busyness can kind of mask some of the the underneath kind of anxiety and, and frustration that really was going on yeah it, it puts so, it all on the back burner yeah yeah it's like you know i'm i'm too busy to, to to kind of freak out about this right now so then what got you kind of inspired to get back into it or what were you doing what were you doing to kind of fill the void of music whilst you weren't well like after the band deteriorated and you were in new york was it just a case of you're working too much so there was no there was no two ways about it or did you have something else to kind of fill you fill the void creatively um i started writing again and and i i had you know ideas for bands and uh you know so i started writing just lyrics just you know just started writing lyrics every every couple of days and, um, you know, I started talking to some of the people that I worked with at the, at the grocery store about doing a band and everything. And like, you know, not all of them were in tune with punk or hardcore. And like, I felt like with some people, I, 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 you know, I, I got traction and others didn't. And like, it never happened, but like there, there were a couple of people that were like, yeah, I, I'd be interested. I'd be interested. Just like, the truth was, I don't think any of us had an, enough time to even find out when we all were free yeah. that we could practice. But the idea of talking about doing a band started like then, and then that was that was a really good start to everything. Um, so after the the year of living in New York, I was like, you know, I can't really afford this anymore. And and to be honest, like I miss I miss Philadelphia, which to, to some people that know Philadelphia, they're gonna. I, they're going to feel one of two ways about that. They're going to be like, one, how the fuck did you miss Philadelphia? Yeah. And then the other is like, I completely understand. And, you know, it's the best city on earth. And truthfully, it's, I feel like it's somewhere in the middle. I think Philadelphia has some very distinct qualities about it. And if you're from there, of there, or if you're of a similar spirit, you get it. And you, there, there's something comforting about it so i moved back to philadelphia and i you know i realized that working in recording was not was not going to be something that i wanted to do unless i could do it completely on my own terms and i didn't think it was going to be possible to do my own terms so i um i wanted to learn a trade and i moved back to philly for the idea and like uh i was gonna i was gonna become a barber and i was gonna go to barber school or whatever i had to do just because it was like it was 
is like um, a, there was a shop in Philly that I used to go to that I liked, and I really, really enjoyed the environment. Everything about it just felt right, and it seemed like a, a good career choice. Yeah, kind of fail safe. <clears throat> so that was what I did. I moved back to Philly to become a barber, and so I started. I, as soon as I moved back, I started working at that same record store again. And um, I went and visited the only, like, school in Philly that had, like, a, a barber license program. And then, you know, I, I was interviewing there, and they told me how much it was and how long the part-time program and how long the full-time program, what the hours were like. And I was like, man, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. And then they told me that they didn't take any kind of financial aid and that it was just out of pocket. And, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have a couple of thousand dollars out of pocket to do it. And like, truthfully, it's not that much money, but it's, it's enough for somebody that doesn't have, yeah, for somebody that doesn't have like any savings and just moved from New York because they don't have any money. Uh, you know, any, any amount of money that's over a thousand dollars. Any four digit number. Sounds ridiculous. Yeah. And and you know, let alone seven to eight thousand dollars while you're not able to work full time is like it, it, it's there's no way. You know, there's absolutely no way. So I was like a little discouraged because I was like, I can't even afford to go to barber school. Uh so I I just started working more and more often at the record store as much as I could. And, um, you know, I, I continued to go to that, that barber shop that I was telling you about that I, I really liked. And one day my barber, you know, who I had talked to about going to school with was like, uh, so have you gotten anywhere on schools or, or whatever? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, you know, some shops will, will offer like an apprentice program and you can get licensed through the barber at the shop. And I was like, really? So... I, uh, you know, I got my hair cut that morning. I went to work at four o'clock and like all of a sudden my phone rang and it was my barber, this guy, Frank. And he was like, Hey, um, so I talked with uh, Joe, the owner of the shop. And he said that, uh, he said that you can start apprenticing on Monday, you can apprentice Monday and Friday, right? Those were the days you said that you'd be able to do it. And I was like, uh, yeah. And he's like, all right, well, cool. Well, you, you'll come in Monday morning and, and apprentice. And Monday was my day off from the the record store, and Friday I would just do half a day at the barber shop, and then I would go straight over to the record store. Uh, so I immediately started apprenticing right right when that happened, and about uh, about an hour into my first day apprenticing, the the owner of the shop goes, "Okay, you're going to cut my partner's hair," and. Uh, so his husband comes into the shop and uh, I gave my first haircut. I knew nothing about what I was doing, <laughs> That's awesome. but I, I had, I'd watch him. I'd watched, uh, you know, the, the owner of the shop do a couple of haircuts. So I just kind of like figured it out and he was like, don't worry. You know, if you fuck up, we're just going to buzz his head. And I was like, okay. That's perfect. All right. That's perfect. Um, so it, it took all that like anxiety and fear that would go into doing something new and just washed it away. Yep. Like I was no longer afraid to cut hair, and so that's uh, that's how it like started. I just started having my my friends or my dad or my brother come in, or I would go over to their house and cut their hair. I would just uh, you know 
take as many people as possible. And, uh, you know, about a month and a half into, you know, apprenticing, I just started taking clients because uh, there was an open chair on Monday and an open chair on Friday. And I just started taking clients, you know, didn't have a barber's license, didn't, didn't really have experience just, just based on like I had cut a handful of friends hair and my dad and my brother. And so I was just like, yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll, you know, walk in would come in. They didn't have an appointment. I'm like, yeah, come over here. I'll cut your hair. And like, uh, you know, just kind of like getting a base and just starting to play. I was just like, I was going to fake it until it's good, you know? And if you're, if your confidence is, is showing on the outside, like other people, you know, they don't, they don't notice all the little inconsistencies, but yeah. that's how I became, that's how I became a barber, you know? And eventually like two years later, I got my barber's license, and, but I still have regular clients that were, that go to me now. And this is, you know, six, seven years later, uh, I still have those clients and, uh, you know, they, they've gone to me since I didn't know shit about what I was doing. <laughs> So how how crucial is the license then? Like, as in, it's not like driving a car without a license kind of thing. Like, but what's the ramifications if is there a body that would kind of call you out on it, or what what does the license kind of give you a pr- accreditation to do? In the state of Pennsylvania, um, you you need to be licensed, and if you're not licensed, you you have to display that like you're a student. But that's only if like an inspector comes by or something yep. like that. Um, so for me, I was like, you know, if if somebody came here and was like, oh, I'm a student, and then I would show my papers that I was apprenticing because you send stuff into the state government once every you know, quarter showing that this person is logging their hours to be a barber. Yep. Um, and I, you know, so that that was my caveat. But in in the United States, it ver- the licensing is different in every state, like. Uh, New Jersey's uh, barber licensing is different from Pennsylvania's. New York is different from Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Um, and then there's some states in the in, in the United States that you don't need a license to be a barber. Like it's it's stupid. <laughs> it, it should be all like nationwide. Yeah. And then like I think in in a lot of parts of Canada, you don't even need a barber's license either. You can just be somebody that that you know has the tools and is like yeah yeah i can cut hair you you get your barber's license um what gives you kind of the impetus to start doing a band again um so this is this is kind of cool um i mean everything's been cool had, so far uh, so um, if you think it's kind of cool <laughs> then i'm looking forward to it so i i started slowly going to like a handful of hardcore shows every once in a while and the the person that I had dated for a few years, uh, she had moved overseas and started working, you know, in in another country, and that relationship was just kind of deteriorating. And I, I had to kind of figure more of myself out. And um, is this the person you lived in New York with? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so her and I just kind of started to to like very slowly. Um, have like an unsaid breakup. It, it was just, it was just like happening. Yeah. And you know, it 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 hurts. You know, of course, any any relationship, you know, 
you know, deteriorating hurt. Uh, but, you know, while I was, you know, going through that, I kind of needed to do things for myself. So I started going to a handful of shows here and there. And there was, um, there was a benefit for, um, Nate who was diagnosed with, uh, cancer who played in Ensign. Yep. Um, there, there was like this big show and it was like, you know, it was all these old bands. Like it was like sick of it all. Uh, the, the, the Chromags like, uh, jam, the, the sheer terror, uh, and then like bands like grade and, and like Ensign and Popeye from far side, like they all played. And I was like, I need to go to that. Like uh, that's, so I went there and I ran into Ian who I had been in petition with and he and I had like seen each other maybe one other time in the last, you know, few years. And so I was talking to him and, uh, you know, we, we kind of like reconnected a little bit and, and it felt like, uh, you know, this is, this cool. Like we, we can be, we can be cool with each other. And we just kind of like talked about what we were doing at the time and also like reminisce about being in a band together. And, um, he was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, you know, my band Outlast is done. So, I mean, I'm down to play music sometimes. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, and I, I thought about it. And then officially that relationship with, with my ex had kind of ended then. And then I, I met somebody through, through my work, basically this, this girl that started working at the barbershop was, uh, we became like really good friends at first. We were just like really good friends. And then that kind of gravitated uh, into, into more and more. And, it, and our relationship grew with each other uh, beyond just friendship. And, um, you know, you know, I basically, you know, was telling her like, you know, how much, you know, it meant to be in a band. And like, there was a handful of people that came in to the barbershop that were like, they would talk about music, talk about hardcore and stuff like that. And she was like, every time you talk about being in a band at some point or, uh, about music, like your eyes like light up, like you should, you, you need to do a band. And so she was the one that like encouraged me to do a band again. And so then I was like, okay. Um, so then by, by like 2016, I, I was talking with Ian and my friend Dave, who I'd worked with at that record store for a long time about doing a band together. And so the three of us had started talking over the course of a couple of months and we're like, all right, yeah, well, let's do it. Uh, you know, there's, there's a practice space not far from me. We'll all get together and we'll, we'll, we'll start writing songs. And, uh, the, my friend Nino, uh, who lived over in the city too, he was, uh, he was like, I'm down to play bass in a band. And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, it's hardcore. And he was like, all right, I don't really know much about hardcore, but like, I'm, I'm down to play. And I was like, well, don't worry about it. Like, we're just going to like, we're just trying to like write. We're not like, if we play a show, eventually we'll play a show, but I just want to, I want to do it. Like that's, I want, I want a space for, for this. So we started practicing every week and writing songs and we wrote songs over the course of like the fall of 2016 and the, into early 2017. And then we, then we went and we recorded it and, uh, you know, put it on Bandcamp to like a tiny handful of people that were friends with us, recognized it. And like, that was, that was kind of it for a while. Was there, Sorry, before you go on, was there a direction in mind with what you kind of wanted 
and what the band wanted, or was it just like, let's just see what happens? It was it was kind of a little bit of let's just see what happens. We all got together and like Dave and I had worked at a record store, you know, for years, and we had talked about doing you know, a band for a long time before too. And like he and his twin brother and I had gotten together and written a song uh, a couple of years before that. And we were writing in, in a similar style to what, you know, Sunstroke ended up doing, you know, a little bit more melodic, a little bit more, you know, based out of that, um, you know, mid eighties, like DC kind of stuff. And so Dave and I had always talked about doing a band and, that this was around the time that Pat Flynn was doing that band, Sweet Jesus. Yep. And he was like, you know, it's, it's great. And like Dave loves Swizz, right? Absolutely loves Swizz. And like, I was a big Dagnasty and Swizz fan. And Dave was actually the one who was like, I, w- I, I want to do a band called Sunstroke. Like that, that, I think that would be so fucking cool. And I was like, <laughs> yo, that, that's awesome. And this is like, this is like years before. So the first, the first real like kind of practice we had, it was just me, Ian and Nino. Dave was like busy working at the time. And we, we got together in my apartment and we sat there and we wrote a song. And at the end of it, Ian goes, we should call this band Sunstroke. And I was like, done. And, and that's, that's how the name started. And then like, as we practiced more, it was like, you know, uh, I don't I don't really want to attach too much of one sound with this band, but like let's let's see where where this sound takes us. Like let's do let's do what we want, but like whatever is influencing you, like let's do it. And and it wasn't like completely like honed in yet. It was just kind of like coming from a handful of different places. Like there was there was parts that were being influenced by like U two and then and then there were songs that were, you know, very heavily influenced by like Rights of Spring or Embrace or, you know, it was just kind of like finding its way a little bit. Um, and like, you know, we all like a lot of the same stuff. So it was like, yeah, I mean, like this song does have a riff that sounds like, you know, it could be from, you know, the boy record by U2, but it's yeah. fucking awesome. So <laughs> like, who am I to complain? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, I feel like there's, there's a little bit of that that still exists. With, with writing, but I feel like uh, we're a little bit more into a groove of our own. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, um, but yeah, it was it was really cool just just to write, you know, and so we we released seven, right, which was the, um, the, 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 the first seven songs that we wrote, and we put it on Bandcamp, and there's like a handful of people that, you know, said something, like people around here, and uh we didn't play a show until we were banned for almost, uh, we were banned for almost a year before we played a show right after we recorded those songs, Nino stopped playing bass and our friend Mikey, who used to go to like all of our practices, um, was like, I'll play bass. And so he started, uh, playing with us before we played a show. Uh, and he would drive like two hours from Delaware to come play with us. So we wrote a song with him. And we like got really, really excited about it. We played our first show, and then um, my my wife and I uh, we dealt with a really crazy situation that basically put the band really, really far on the back burner. And we didn't play a show for another like four or five months. 
Okay. And we had to drop the the handful of shows that we had agreed to play around that time just because like we we were going through something that was like really really crazy. And then so we didn't play until October uh, after playing in June. And then again we didn't play until January. And then um, at that time, like around January, like my my life was just a little like fucked up. Uh, so the band actually had become a channel to kind of like move with that stuff. Like all, all the stuff that was going on in, in mine and my wife's life at the time, we were just like, we gotta, yeah, I gotta do something with this. And so wrote a couple of songs and then, um, that May, you know, so this is May of 2018, we, we recorded uh, three songs and we put them up on Bandcamp a couple of weeks after that and started getting responses like immediately and uh, you know Numerality Zine was one of the first people to kind of like recognize it and, and uh, post about it and then Coin Toss Records like emailed me three days later and they were like uh, you know, indie. I'd like to put out this uh, this record, and he was talking about seven. And I was like, "Well, it's a year old." I was like, "But we just recorded something." And I was like, "Here," and I sent it to him. And you know, in in about the running time of that record, uh, the the three new songs, which we we titled titled Second Floor. Second Floor, yeah. He goes, uh, he goes, uh, you know, comes back to me and goes, I, I want to put out all of this. And I was like, all right, well, let me, let me talk with everybody in the band, but I'm, I'm sure we're, we're down just because I was like, you know, we've only played four shows at that point. Uh, I was like, but you know, let me, let me talk with everybody and see what's up. So I talked with everybody and they're like, Oh, Oh yeah, cool. And then, um, Indy told Nick from numerality scene that he's going to be putting it out. And Nick had just, uh, started to put out the the first rule them all like EP, and Nick was like, "Oh man, I'm jealous." He's like, "I would really like to put that out." And so that's how Coin Toss and New Morality got together to put out the the LP, which we we decided just to title exactly what it was, which was Second Floor and Seven. Seven. So yeah. the, our first two things that we had ever done were going to get released together on an LP, and um. You know, right around that time where, like, it was being released is, like, when all the stuff that, you know, the, the, the crazy situation that um, my wife and I had got thrown into had started to kind of, like, normalize a little bit. And life, life was slowly returning to, like, a bit of normalcy. And then, uh, you know, it, it seemed like, um, I don't know, like, it, it's, it's weird that the band that I did with absolutely zero expectations started to kind of gain a little traction. Like yeah, I, traction, we had yeah. never expected anybody, like we had never expected anybody to, to, to kind of like give it any time or focus in on it. So that was really cool. I, I, I thought that that was like a, a really, really interesting and cool situation. And so we got to start playing some more shows after that. Like, I think like anything, like, you know, you become more exposed, you're going to get asked more. And so that's, that's kind of what happened for us is like, you know, uh, uh, you, you have a record that you're promoting and a visual with it. And, uh, you know, 
a handful of uh, like little interviews and reviews out there, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, people people want to book you. So yeah, so we started playing more, and like we never we never used the fact that we were in bands before. Like all of us had played in bands and toured before, but you know, I don't know. It seemed like it seemed like it was a different time too. You know, it was like yeah. Well, that's that's one thing that I thought was really interesting was when kind of you hit my radar which was uh when the what was it called the fall risk ep or that 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 two track release came oh, out oh the 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 cassette single yeah. yeah yeah when that came out it was never pushed as it was never pushed as an x members of when in yeah. theory that's such an easy like there's nothing wrong with it um but like you know there's nothing obviously wrong with doing it because it it gives people an indication yeah. of kind of but there was none of that. And so I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Like, I assumed you were a lot younger than you were because there wasn't that attached to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like, you know, there's something that I, I think is, like, really interesting about, like, the, the ex-members or former members of, is the, the idea of that is, like, it doesn't matter what you say after that. The fact that you're saying that these people are accomplished in some kind of way, like that's 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 the attraction, right? It's the it's the these people have done something before, so you should focus on what they're doing now. And like, I mean, I'm not I'm not somebody that's like openly going to sit here and combat that, but like. I do think it's kind of like bullshit. It's like a, it's a, it's a cheap way to get somebody. It's clickbait, right? It's very, it's very you know, clickbait. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know, and at the same time, if you're trying to sell something, clickbait makes perfect sense. I, I'm not, I'm not knocking you know people that are trying to sell something. You know, if you, if you have a, if you have a new band, uh, and you know that you know you'll sell if you're the label, right? And you know you're going to sell X amount of records regardless but you're going to sell X more amount of records because you say that this guy was in band A, B, or C, you're probably going to say that they were in band A, B, or C. And like, there's no, there's no problem with that. I think the good thing is like, we didn't have any association with a label or anything leading up to it. And like, so a lot of the people that had found out about us and like started asking about us, they, they didn't know, anything about it like yeah. they didn't know who was in the band they didn't know if anybody was in any former band and like i don't think any of the bands that we were in before have or at least you know kept any of the traction that you know was was gained while we were a band yeah to, to even like really use that but like like i said like just saying that somebody is accomplished is is a commercial in itself um, so yeah, I mean, I, I really like the fact that we were just like, let's just do it. And like the only people that know that we're in the banner is the people that are friends of ours. Cause like, you know, you're, you're going to post and talk about it because like, yeah, you're proud of it. Like I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I do, I do music that I think is good. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be the person that, you know, is like, oh, my band sucks. You know, like I've, I've been in bands that suck. I, yeah. I know that. Yep. <laughs> I know that feeling, but like at this point in my life, I'm doing this because I think it's good and it's something that I enjoy. Um, I don't know, and I can't really tell what other people are going to feel, but to me, it has its value and I, and I like it and that's what matters. So I'm not going to waste my time to do something that I think doesn't have value. Um, so that, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of like 
where that lies for me. Makes um, complete sense. But it was really cool that people started to, uh, you know, recognize it, not knowing anything about any of the people in the band. And, you know, there was, um, there was a thing that, you know, we, we had said to one another, like when we started playing and I was like, you know, there's, there's not like a whole lot of melodic bands around at all at that time. And, and like now there's a little bit of a wave going, which is, it, it's cool. It's really, really cool to see. But like when we started practicing, started playing, like there were, I don't want to say no bands, but there weren't a whole lot of bands that I could see that had like a melodic edge. There was a lot of that like really uh, like heavy, um, like almost beat down related hardcore going on, yeah. especially around around here. And like that's not that's not my world at all. And I was just kind of like you know we'll get like a lot of blank stares when we play, and that's fine. You know I don't care because. Um, you know, I, I like to take this this line that Bill Stevenson said uh, regarding all versus the descendants, and um, when when you know when the descendants uh, kind of like broke off, you know, in intermittently, um, and all would would end up playing, and like they would have problems with people yelling at you know Scott Reynolds or Chad Price, yep. saying like you're not Milo, right? And you know, Bill was like you know. I'm going to do what I like. And, and obviously you're, you're a descendant fan. So you know this about the descendants. There's like, you know, uh, and, and Bill, Bill is the descendant. Like yes. he is, he is, Correct. he is the brainchild of all of that. Yeah. And he, and he, he says in, in the, um, the filmage documentary, he yep. was like, I, I don't care if five people or five, you know, thousand people like my band, you know, it, it, that, that's not what matters. I'm going to continue to do what I want and what I like. And that was like, that, that hit me in such a way because like, I, I really don't care at this point, whether other people like it or not, like whether other people like it or not, will control for the most part, whether this gets released on record or whether it gets promoted or not. Yeah. But I'm still going to, like, if I feel fulfilled by it, I'm going to continue to do it. I'm going to continue to make the kind of music that I like and I want, um, whether, whether it's five or, or, you know, 500 people, I don't, it doesn't, doesn't matter either way to me. Like I'm going to continue to do it. So that was like the, almost like not quite a mantra, but that was like the, the feelings that I, that I had held while doing, uh, like while doing and starting Sunstroke, it was just kind of like, you know what, like whether whether anybody likes it or not, I'm I'm gonna continue to do it. And you know, we'd already started to play shows, so it was like when we play shows, like I, I'm just gonna go out there and I'm gonna play the way that I want to play. Like I'm not gonna, you know, yeah. I'm not gonna dial back on how I want to present this band live because the crowd's not moving. Because honestly, like we don't have we don't have the, the, the go-to moves for people to, you know, mosh or whatever to. So yeah. we're, we're just going to do what we do. And then, and I, I really enjoy that about this band. Um, so, I mean, that, I mean, that's a, a long winded version of like what, what level of importance this band has to, to not just me, but everybody in the band. I feel like we all kind of share that, that feeling. Um, so that that's I feel like that's like the 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 
base of everything here. Yeah. And look, um, Bloom at Night, which came out late, was it like October, November last year? November, yeah, November, November of 2019. It's, it's so, it, like, <clears throat> for, for me, it was so refreshing to hear because, you know, as you said, like, when, you know, you said as your band was starting up, there was a lot of beatdown and there's a lot of, there's a lot of hardcore at the moment that isn't, like, that's kind of popular. And I listen to it and go, oh, okay, like, I, I get why people would like this, but it isn't my cup of tea. So then to hear, yeah. so then to hear Bloom at Night was like, oh, no, this is, yeah, this is where I'm at. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not that early 20s kid, da-da-da, like, who kind of, who wants to, you know, d- do whatever you know early 20 whatever early early 20 year old kids do you know this was and and not to sound like an old fuddy-duddy but like yeah this was i heard this music and was like this makes sense yeah i i and i i mean and not just me i mean i think and i think i can speak for everybody's band like i really really appreciate that and i think that that's that's cool that the the way that it, it speaks to us is is uh, I think we're starting to realize that it it is speaking the same way to other people. And like, um, you know, I, I've seen like reviews and I think the, the value that I've gotten out of like a lot of the reviews that I've seen is not necessarily the fact that people, uh, you know, whether they like it or not, it's, it's the, um, the things that they say that they like about it are the, the, the qualities that I think that we all put into it that we found to be important. And I think for, for those to be the things that uh, people recognize, I think is, is very refreshing and rewarding as, you know, as a, as somebody who's writing or, or, you know, kind of making any kind of art or um, which, you know, I, I do believe, and I do feel like hardcore is, is art music, you know, it's, um, it's challenging and and it's something that is is not going to be an easy thing for people to to always appreciate. It's 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 it can be a bitter pill. So I think to to read those like a handful of those reviews, and you know I'm not so focused on whether people like it. It it's more the the fact that the things that they they see as valuable are the things that um have been put into it that that we think are the valuable parts of it and i think that that's that's really cool and that that certainly that feels really nice like um to to feel like the the people that i think share a similar mind frame as you um appreciating the the things that you're doing yeah. i think that that's that's the thing that i i find value in um Oh, well, well over the amount of people that it reaches. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's really cool to have your band reach a lot of people. But at the end of the day, I would rather it reach, you know, a handful of people in an honest way yeah. than it just get exposed to everybody. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the quality of the response, not the quantity of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, like, you know, and, and in this time, like, uh, I've listened to a lot more newer newer bands than I had ever did, you know, in the, the previous five or six years. 
Um, just because, you know, the nature of playing shows, you get to see newer bands every night. And, like, yeah. um, you know, when you're releasing music, you're you're more keen to seeing what else is coming out. And so um, there's a lot of there's a lot of really good new stuff out there. And I think that um, not just, you know, hardcore and punk, but everything. But it's, it's one of the things that I definitely recognize about, like, the 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 internal world of hardcore is that it's it's very similar to kind of what was going on in the mid '90s, where the definition of what what hardcore is is, is very broad. Yeah. So there's there's a ton of different kinds of bands um, that are not only like playing hardcore shows, but releasing records through labels that release predominantly hardcore records, and they don't sound too much like any of the other bands on that label but that's not really what what matters and i think that that's that's really cool and i i think that that was one of the things that i really liked about um you know when i started buying records on revelation and you know far side doesn't sound anything like youth of today at all and neither does texas the reason and you know and also i mean you could get into some of the weirder shit too like you know iceburn doesn't sound like any anything yeah, Iceburn doesn't sound like anything from Planet Earth, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like you know, like like Quicksand doesn't sound like any of uh, Quicksand doesn't sound like Gorilla Biscuits, but there is a little bit of a throughway there. Yeah. And like that that stuff is so cool to me that the the same label is putting all that stuff out. Um, and and I think that you know hardcore is kind of in a little bit of that that stage right now where it's more about the community and less about the sonics of it. And I think that that's really cool. And I, and I think that that's important for people um, who are music fans and like, uh, you know, they can hear something and, you know, like it because they think it's good, not like it because um, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like the, 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 the sonics that they're supposed to like, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's less about that like cred and more maybe more about like the 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 music or the expression behind it all and i think that that's that's a really great place to be for any kind of music um but i think especially for something like um hardcore that can be you know considered very neanderthal like caveman music to a lot of people sometimes for it to be broad and and have a, a little bit more of a fine tuning is, is really cool. And I think that it, it offers a lot of different stuff. You know, the fact that triple B is releasing a band like Ikulu and, um, and a band like anxious, you know, those, yeah. those two bands are both very good and they sound nothing alike. And I think that that's, that's such a good thing. Yeah. They're, they're at the opposite ends of the pendulum. And, and the fact that all those bands can play together now is like, I think a good thing. And I think that 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 definitely benefits us as a as a band too. Is like, you know, playing shows. It like we don't we don't care like what kind of bands we play with. Like we want to play with bands that we like and like like our friends because uh, we don't play super frequently. So uh, I think that the fact that the the rest of hardcore is kind of like that right now, where there there doesn't seem to be too much on like rules and regulations of what kind of band you are and who you play with. Uh, I think that that's, that's pretty great. Yeah. That's sick. Look, is there any, that was, that was a, I mean, in my opinion, that was a fucking perfect way to kind of wrap all this up. Is there anything else you kind of want to talk about before you pick a song? 
Um, no, nah, I think that I think that that's that's you, pretty much it. Like I, it? I think that uh, you know, um, I, I I guess like uh, in terms of things that I find important, like uh, so Bloom at Night is all about like mental health, and I think that uh, um, the one thing that I, I I like to try to say, you know, every time we play is like you know take care of yourself and take care of each other and take care of your friends. And like, uh, and I, and I mean that like very, very closely, like, uh, you know, keep an eye on, on people because, um, you know, the record's about going through some shit and, uh, you know, everybody, everybody does and, and everybody feels some hurt and pain. And I think that, uh, you may not always recognize it, but, uh, you know, try, try to, to make sure you keep an eye on your friends and i think that that's uh that's kind of where where i feel with a a lot of that stuff um especially now and i think that like i said my wife and i went through like a a really crazy time and um i think that that brought about like the idea of things like therapy and and uh and and figuring out how to how to you know balance your emotions and stuff like that um, I think that that's, uh, the, one of the things that I find very important in life and, and in friendships and in relationships now is like, is definitely, you know, the, the idea of mental and emotional health. So that, that would be what I would like to, to close it out on and, and not be so internal, but like, uh, to, to anybody and everybody that's listening, it's just like, uh, you know. Keep keep an eye on not only yourself but the, the people around you, and you know recognize that you got value. Yeah, I'm I'm so into that. So let's pick a song. All right. Um, so uh, you know, I, I feel like I, I still kind of have to piggyback on the fact that you know working at a store exposed me to a ton of different stuff. Yep. Um, so you're not working there anymore, and, are you? You're full-time bartender. Oh, no, no. You're full-time barber. I haven't barber. worked there in about. Yeah, I haven't worked at the store in about five years. But yeah, cool. my my old boss in that store, he managed that store and he branched off and opened up his own record store in New Jersey that I, I really like to go to on occasion and uh, um, you know go browse through and pick up a record or two every time I go there. Um, so I mean, I got into. Sun Ra, like a, a little bit more, probably more initially, just because of like the aesthetic of it all. Like Sun Ra was, you know, a, a jazz pianist yep. from like the late fifties through, you know, all all the way up until he died in the in the nineties. And um, he lived in Philadelphia for a long time, and uh, you know, really fucking out there. There's just like. Uh, but one of the things that I found interesting is like when I started to get into into jazz a little bit is um underneath of all of the the crazy like free jazz like everybody in the band's playing something different and out there underneath all of that he's playing kind of more traditional bebop uh you know like like more straightforward jazz and and I think that that's something that's really really cool and I kind of re- related that to, to, to hardcore, you know, how, how sometimes, you know, stuff can seem a little bit crazy and out there, but when you, when you break it down, there's the, there's the simplicity to everything. And it's, it's a little bit, you know, it, it masks 
the fact that it's so simple. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, particularly while, while writing Bloom at Night, there was a, there was a song that I, uh, you know, I, I love from, uh, like a little bit later on in, in Sunra's career, like in the, I think it was that early seventies. Um, uh, the song's called, uh, When There Is No Sun. And it, it's a bit solemn and a bit sad, but, uh, it, it's a beautiful song and it's, it's not, it's not crazy, like free jazz. It's not out there, but it's, uh, it's, it's a really great song. Um, and yeah, so I would say Sunrise and There Is No Sun.
Congratulations, you made it all the way to the end. Thank you very much for checking it out. It's always, again, really appreciated. Um, look, gringobandito.com, myagepodcast.com, podbellynetwork.com. We're all on all the socials. Um, go check out all the podcasts on the Podbelly Network. Go check out all the flavors of Gringo Bandito on gringobandito.com or amazon.com if you're in North America or blastoffimports.com if you're in Australia. Um, again, thanks for checking out. Really appreciate it. And Everybody we'll do it all again soon. Cool.
Yeah. 